Again, thankful for the song service and our attempt to worship the Lord in that capacity. Thankful for Brother Seth's prayer and ask for a continuation of your prayers that God would bless the reading of his word to the honor and glory of his name. The thoughts that are on my mind this morning uh, center around uh, who are God's people, if you would. You know, what is the importance of God's word? What is the purpose of God's word? And what are the benefits of God's word? I'm not going to get to all that today, I know, but I, I do want to start with trying to determine what the Bible says about who the Lord's people are. We find in the word of God, and let's, let's stop for a minute and, and do look a little bit at the purpose of God's word. And yet we'll try to determine who, who that purpose uh, belongs to and, and who it benefits. Uh, does it benefit ever all of Adam's race? Uh, that's a question that's asked in, a, in, a, in a, something that is taught throughout the majority of, of the Christian world. But the first thing we must realize in the Bible concerning the purpose of God's word in, in the Lord is, is that we should give the Lord all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. We have no room and no place to brag or to boast because salvation is truly of the Lord. It's not a cooperative work between God and the sinner. For she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall, not maybe, save his people from their sins. You know, that verse is very easily understood. It says he shall save his. That means that's a possessive, personal possessive pronoun. It literally means he has a people and he come for a purpose. And the purpose he came for was to save them from their sins. The question remains today according to what many would say, did he, did he accomplish what he came to do? Did he accomplish what he came to do? We're told in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelations in the 11th verse, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All things in this universe were created for the glory of Almighty God. In the heavens, in the earth, that includes you and I and everything else that exists. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 29 that there shall no flesh glory in his presence. Verse 31 says, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We have no place to boast. We have no room to tell the Lord of all the great and wondrous things we've done. You know, when you go to Luke chapter 18 and you see the prayer of the Pharisee and the prayer of the publican, the Pharisee began to tell God of all the wonderful things that he had done in the name of the Lord and accomplished for God. And yet that poor publican, and friends, that represents you and I, he would not even as much as look into heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Now, when we think about the purpose of God's word, all we got to do is go and read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I believe it is. It says, for all scripture, in verse 16, is given by the inspiration of God. Let's stop there for a moment. There's not a word, I believe, in the King James Version of the Bible that is not 
the Lord's words. We have a problem if we don't believe that this is God's word. If we believe that man sat around and looked the situation over and this is what he thought about it. The Bible tells us that the word of God is divinely inspired. We know for a fact and we believe by faith that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, right? She was overshadowed with the Holy Ghost and found with that holy thing or she became pregnant without being with a man. This is the omnipotent, almighty power of God. In that same manner, the, all the writers of the Bible, they're not the authors. Some people will say, well, this is the author of this book. No, friends, the author of every book in the Bible is God, God Almighty. Yes, he used numerous writers. The first five books of the Bible, the writer was Moses, and we could go on, but, you know, it was God who uh, divinely inspired these men to write the words that they wrote. And it is God who has kept his word. The words of the Lord are pure words. It's silver. Tried in the furnace of earth seven times. That word seven carries the meaning of completion. God's word is complete. It doesn't need me to add anything to it. It doesn't need you to add anything to it. And we certainly ought to not take anything from it. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's in Psalms 12. You know we have the Bible today. Just only because God has promised to preserve it. This Bible will always be here. You know how many men over time, over the ages, wanted to get rid of the Word of God? And yet it still exists, doesn't it? Because it is kept by the power of Almighty God. It's preserved by God Almighty. Therefore, we have confidence that it will remain because there's none that can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God has done whatsoever he pleased. He is sovereign. In his work, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable. I want you to think about that for just one minute. It's profitable. That word profit means there's something to be gained and something to be gleaned from every word and every scripture in the Bible. Now, I'm sure you're like me. We, we all have favorite scriptures. We all have verses that we may like more so than other verses. But friends, I'm here to tell you that every word in the Bible is truth. It's God's truth. And every word in the Bible is profitable from the first word in Genesis to the last word in the book of Revelations. That doesn't mean you will have a thorough and total and complete understanding of every word and every verse in the Bible. But nonetheless, it's God's words and it was written down and preserved from that generation and it will be preserved throughout all time because there was a benefit and a profitability to the Lord's people or to whoever God's people are. I believe that. It's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. Not just for the doctrines of salvation by grace, but the doctrines uh, that are taught throughout Scripture. Whatever that doctrine may be. The doctrine of redemption. The doctrine of repentance. The doctrine of God's moral law in the land that he set up where we could live in a society that would not be so chaotic that we could not exist. God's truth will stand forever. And it's something that you and I need to take to heart. We need to understand. It's profitable for instruction. That's what doctrine literally means. What God instructs in his word is profitable for you and I. For God's people, it's profitable. There's something to be gained from it. It's also profitable for reproof. You know, by nature, we don't like to be told we're doing something wrong, do we? 
When we grew up as little children, we didn't like for mom and dad to correct us, even when we done wrong. Matter of fact, we have seen throughout the ages, I believe, that there are many in the world who decline to preach such things that would cause us to see the error of our ways. The Apostle Paul tells us that in Acts chapter 20 that he said, he said, I shun not to declare all the counsel of God to the folks. In other words, he preached the entire word. He didn't preach what was good. We have folks that only want to preach a health and wealth and, and a good feeling gospel. And friends, there's a place for messages like that. No doubt about it. But there's profit to be found when God's word shows us the error of our ways and convicts us of the wrongs that we have committed in life. If there wasn't a gain or a profitability to that, why did God preserve it in his word for you and I to look at today and for all future generations? There's something to be gleaned and something to be benefited from God's word. But he didn't just leave us out there in a point of saying, well, I see the error of my ways. He gave us instruction, profitable instruction on in how to correct that. It's profitable for doctrine, instruction, for reproof, for correction. He doesn't leave us to wonder. He teaches us the doctrine of repentance. He teaches us by, through the, the teachings of his word and the preaching of the gospel where we've erred, what we've done wrong, and how we can correct that. We've always needed corrected in life. We got corrected as children from our mom and dad, and as we grow up to be adults, uh, the Bible tells us, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If God loves you and you're one of his children, and he does love you if you're one of his children, at some juncture in life you're going to get corrected. You know, correction from God is like correction we have with our children. You know, if you had more than one child in your life, you'll find that oftentimes there'll be a child in the family that has to have far more correction than another child. That's just the way it is. Some children are far more strong-willed. It's no different with us and with the Lord, our Heavenly Father. Some of us are strong-willed, and it takes more correction to straighten us out. But that's how life works. From being parents here in this natural life to looking under our Heavenly Father in heaven, in a spiritual sense. So we find that it's good for instruction, doctrine. We find that it's good for reproof, which is to show us the error of our ways, to convict us, and also for correction, how to correct us. And also it's good and profitable. It instructs us in the way of righteousness. You know, God is righteous and holy and without blemish. He's pure. We're told in the 16th verse of first Peter 1, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God calls upon us to strive to live a holy life. He does. And we need to live that holy life to the best of our ability. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We're told in Psalms 23. He instructs us in righteousness. He corrects us. This is all profitable for God's children. That the man of God or the child of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. God supplies everything that we need. He shows us where we err in life. He, 
He teaches us how to correct ourselves or be corrected if, if we don't. And he instructs us in a better way, the ways of righteousness for his name's sake. We need to remember that. We need to keep that close to heart. That is a grand purpose of God's word in our life, just to, in a short few verses. And in doing so, if we follow those verses, we honor and glorify and praise the God of heaven. And at the end of the day, that's what we were created for. And that's the purpose we have here in this life. Not just by attending services. We ought to do that. But it ought to be in every act and every part of our lives. We ought to shine through the glory of God in the way that we live because of what he has done for us. Now we think about who God's people are. This has been a question that has been raised for, for many, many centuries. The majority of the Christian community will tell you that, uh, you know, it's left up to you. God done his part, you must now do your part. It's a cooperative work, but the Bible teaches me it's not that way. The God of heaven, thus saith the Lord, teaches me that it's not according to that. In the Bible, we find that God's children are spoken of by different names. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, The elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We know that they're called the redeemed. We know that in Psalms chapter uh, book, uh, Psalms 107 and 2 let the redeemed of the Lord say so the redeemed of the Lord ought to speak up they ought, to, they ought to be in the midst of all people let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom hath redeemed from the hand or from evil or from our enemies let the redeemed of the Lord say so sometimes in the Bible the children of God are called the righteous even though we're told in the third chapter of Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that become righteous in their own sins. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin, Jesus Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The imputed righteousness of Christ was imputed to every one of his children. And we're viewed as righteous through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> we think about this foreknowledge, and we're going to get to a verse in 2 Peter here in just a little bit, but who are the Lord's people? Is all of Adam's race the Lord's people? That's what the world teaches. The Christian world says that God died for every man. Most of the Christian world will take John chapter 3 and six, chapter 3 verse 16, probably the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. They take it completely and totally out of context. They don't read, they, you know, you've got to study what was told Nicodemus, what was taught to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and the verses that follow that verse. It's, it's lifted out of context. For God so loved the world. That's their first mistake is not understanding what the world is there. That word world means an orderly arrangement. That's what it means. It doesn't mean all of Adam's race. 
We're told in 1 John 2, 14, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We're told in the high priestly prayer of John 17, he said, I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me. If Jesus Christ died for the entire Adamic race, all of Adam's race, which is every human being, save the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the only man that ever walked upon the face of the earth that can say that God was his father genetically. We find out that every other individual that goes to heaven, not don't care who you are, will had to be adopted into the family of God. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, by Jesus Christ unto himself, according what? To the good pleasure of his will. Not according to our will. That's in Romans, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. But let's think about that great chapter in Romans that primitive Baptists preach on and talk so much about chapter 8. It says back over here, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in 1 Peter 1 and 2, we're told in the 29th verse of Romans, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That means to predetermine. We find out in the four places predestination is spoken of in the Bible, it's predestinating the people. God predetermined to have a people and that these people would live in heaven with him throughout all eternity and that he would do whatever was necessary to secure their eternal salvation. For whom he did foreknow, <coughs> he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He predetermined that one day that we will be conformed to the image of his son, which will be the firstborn among many brethren. We're told that when that last day comes, our glory, our bodies will be fashioned like unto the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day's coming. And I pray that it comes quickly. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He goes on and says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, those that he predetermined, based on his foreknowledge. Now, some people will argue, well, God foreknew all people. He did. But I'll tell you, he foreknew a people in an intimate way in an intimate way that he didn't know everybody else. Jeremiah told us, he says the, in Jeremiah 31 and 3, he says, The Lord hath appeared unto me of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I'll tell you right now, brothers and sisters, if our Lord and our God and our Heavenly Father loved every man, that was ever born into this world and they don't end up in heaven, God cannot be declared to be just. How's that so? Well, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he bore, him, he bore our sins in his own body. He himself bore our sins in his own body. If he suffered for the sins of all that were given to him by the Father and he paid for the sin debt, past, present, and future, and he paid it in full, and then God sends one of those folks to hell, he's demanding that they be paid for those sins that the Son of God has already paid for. You sound like justice? That isn't the God that we serve. 
We're told in Deuteronomy uh, 32 and 4, He is the rock, His work is perfect. All His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right as He. He is just whether you understand it or not. A lot of what goes on today is based on the pure fact that people cannot believe that God could have chose one man and not another, and that's just not fair. But he said in Romans chapter 9, For Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. What's the first thing they said after that? Is there unrighteousness God? God forbid. You know, God wasn't obligated to save anyone. Did you know that? He didn't have to save one soul. We all took care of our destination, but according to his mercy, but God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Not by your works, not by the fact that you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, every child of God will be in heaven, and they'll all get there the same way, and they'll be giving praise to the glory of God in the same manner. We're told in Ephesians 1 and 6, the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. We didn't accept Jesus Christ. He accepted us. He was given to us by the Father, and we have accepted Him based upon the sacrifice He made to pay for all the sin that we had committed. We get back to Romans. It says, moreover, moreover, in whom He did predestinate, them he also called. He called. We're going to get to that word called here in just a little bit. Is that a general call? We'll look at that as we go on. But notice, who is it that he called here? Those that he foreknew. Those that he predetermined that would be conformed to the image of his son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. They didn't justify themselves. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. Titus 3 and 5. Whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Friends, that's the truth of God's word. Even in these verses here in Romans, we find that God knew a people. He foreknew them in a special and an intimate way. And he sent his son to die for them. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There's eternal security right there. They won't be cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me of all which he hath given me. I shall lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Friends, I'm here to tell you there's not one soul that Jesus Christ died for that won't live with him in heaven. There's an exact number, and their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those are the folks that will be called. They were foreknown by God. They're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What a day that'll be. And I tell you what, as we look around in this world, that day looks better every day that we live. We're going to be formed to the image of the Son of God. He goes on here, and it says, 
Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If God loved every man that's ever born, every man that's ever born should be in heaven. It can't be no other way and God be just. Because he himself bore our sins in his own body. How could that be just if God demanded that the sinner pay for his sins again that his son went to the cross of Calvary and died for? There's no justice in that. But God is just and right in what he done. I believe God saved a great number, number of people. And why God chose one man, I can't tell you. He made that clear in Romans chapter 9. He chose Jacob before he chose Esau, before they'd ever done anything good or bad. Read, read the 11th verse. For the children not having either done any good or bad, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, lest any man should boast. We find that in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we find this in Romans chapter 9. That's why they said there's unrighteousness. You know, the interesting thing about Esau and Jacob, if you want to go read about Esau and Jacob and you want to go study about them, you'll have a hard time believing that Jacob was better than Esau. The story of the Old Testament paints Esau to be the better man. But he wasn't chosen by God. And the choice that God made to love one and to hate the other was made before they'd ever done anything good or bad. That, does, that just doesn't set well with human beings. It just doesn't compute, if you might say, what, uh, understand what I'm telling you. It doesn't compute. <laughs> we get back over there and it says, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Listen what we conquered through him, Jesus Christ that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature, and that includes yourself, any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You think there's somebody Jesus loves going to end up in hell? Not according to thus saith the Lord. Not according to the word of God. Now let's go back over and as we, we try to determine who these people are and look at some different aspects of this. In 2 Peter, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we see some of those names. And it says, but you are a chosen generation. You're a chosen generation. We're told in Ephesians 1 and 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I tell you, it's amazing what God sees in you through his son Jesus Christ, isn't it? You know, we're sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're told in the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes, not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. But it amazes me every time I read that verse at what Jesus Christ, or the God the Father, sees his children as through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy and without blame. They're blameless. Isn't that amazing? They're holy and without blame before him in love. Why? He loved them with an everlasting love. But God commendeth his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for the ones that were living a good life. He died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. 
He died for those he foreknew. And he foreknew them in a very intimate and a special way. He says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Can you imagine that you're considered or, or one of the names given to you is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people? Notice the verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Not some of it, all iniquity. That needs to be understood. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We should walk in good works. We're told in the second chapter of Ephesians in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, in those works. To tread around in those works what should means that we should there. You know when it said over in the first chapter, I'll give you this tidbit of Ephesians chapter 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You know what the word should there means? It's not the same as the second chapter of Ephesians at verse 10. It means to exist. We exist in positionally in Christ. That's what that word means, to exist. Look it up in the Greek. We exist positionally in Christ because we were chosen in him and we're viewed through him by the Father. What a blessing it is. We want to get on to a little bit more of this. It says, A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, a while ago, we is over in Romans, and it says, those that he foreknew and predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son, that that same group of folks is going to be called. Is that a general call? Did God just say, I call you to walk out of darkness into my marvelous light? I don't think so. Not if we want to harmonize the scriptures. We, don't want, we, we couldn't stand there, could we? What did Jesus say in John 6 and 44? I want you to, this needs to be taken to heart by anyone who's trying to bring scriptures into harmony. No man, Jesus said, can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. Could language be any plainer? Could language be any easier to understand? No man can come unto me. The world will tell you to become a child of God. You, all you have to do is walk out of darkness, hear the word of God preached, read a little bit of God's word, study it a little bit, accept Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal Savior, and then you'll be born of the Spirit of God and you'll go to live with him in all eternity. I don't find that spoken of in the Word of God at all, to be honest. What I do find is that no man can come unto Jesus unless he's drawn to Jesus by God the Father. And that word drawn there means to drag. They didn't come willingly. You know, Jesus said over in John chapter 5, he said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify me. We're told in 1 John 5 and 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
See, it's past tense. It's not whosoever will learn to believe or will come to believe. The person that's already believing has the great evidence that he belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in six, John 6 and 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him who he hath sent. It's not the cooperative work of the sinner and the Lord. It's the work of God. Because no man can come unto me except the Father which sent me, and I'll raise him up again at the last day. You know, that is so important that he spoke it twice in the same chapter. Verse 65, And he said unto him, Jesus speaking again, Therefore I said unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Pretty plain and clear language. And yet the world says that we can draw the fool out of darkness if we'll just train him up, teach him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Why are they foolish? Because he's walking in darkness. He has no understanding of God whatsoever. He's walking in darkness. Now when we go back over to John chapter 3, we talked of that verse that is quoted so often, so very often by the Christian world, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As I said, there's six or seven worlds spoken of in the Bible. And that word literally means orderly arrangement. I'll tell you, that world that's under consideration there is the world of God's elect. He gave his son for a specific people. And that he came. In the covenant of grace, God chose the people. Jesus Christ promised to go and, and, and to deliver them and to pay for the sin debt that they couldn't pay for. And every one of them was promised by the Holy Ghost to be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and 9, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. A holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We were called with a holy calling. We believe that calling is effectual, meaning it has power to drag that person out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in John chapter 3, begin in verse 17, right after that, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Again, people say, there it is. But notice verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Does that mean you can just decide what you want to do? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Do you know that that is the condition that every child of God was in at some given point in their life? I don't know if you knew when you were born again of the Spirit of God. I know the Apostle Paul did when he had his experience on the road to Damascus, no doubt about that one. We know by the preserved word that God has given us that John the Baptist, when he heard of the uh, Lord Jesus Christ to be born through Mary, <coughs> when she told her cousin Elizabeth 
that he leaped for joy in his mother's womb at the salutation of Jesus Christ. No doubt, John the Baptist had spiritual life in the womb of his mother. Sometime between conception and death, every child of God will be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I made reference to this in the last couple of weeks. If you read the two accounts of the two thieves that went to the cross with Jesus Christ, you're going to find either that there's contradictions in the word and the scoffers will say, there you are, or you're going to believe in the immediate regeneration of the soul when you read Luke's account. There was a change that took place, <coughs> a big change. He goes on and he says in the 19th verse in this condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Well, is it possible for that man to turn himself into a God-fearing, God-loving, God-desiring man? The Bible says it's impossible. Notice what it says in the first chapter of John, verse 5, or Gospel of John, verse 5, first chapter. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, <clears throat> it does mean it didn't understand it. Darkness doesn't understand the light. There's no question about that. But that word there carries a far greater meaning than just the, the ability to understand it. It means apprehend or seize. It was impossible. It's impossible for those who walk in darkness to seize the light, to apprehend the light. They can't even understand it, much less seize it or apprehend it. Friends, I'm telling you, those who are going to get the benefits from God's word, those who are going to understand the things of God's word, are those that God chose. Those that God called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He goes on back over here in chapter 3, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. God wrought a work of grace in that man's heart, and there was an immediate change. I tell you, all you got to do is go look over in the uh, uh, book of Luke. And when you find the difference in, in that uh, thief that hung on the right hand of Jesus Christ, he didn't have the gospel preached to him. Matter of fact, there's no account that anything was said to him, but I tell you, there was a change that took place, and it was a mighty change. He called Jesus Christ Lord, and the Bible says, unless you're born of the Spirit of God, that's an impossibility. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe it is. We'll just read that verse. In Matthew's account, that thief, both thieves were railing against Christ. Never any mention of that, of anything changed in his account. You know, we have two different views. We have Matthew's view, we have Luke's view. We know the Bible taught us that John the Baptist was born of the Spirit of God in his mother's womb. And here we see a man that had something happen to him and he was immediately regenerated right before his death, hanging on the cross of the right hand of God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Wherefore, I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. 
Go to the book of Luke and read that account. And that's exactly what he did. As a matter of fact, he rebuked the one on the left hand. There was a great change that took place in that man's life. He was called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ right prior to his natural death. All of God's children are called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't walk out of darkness. We're told in Psalms 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You can't educate the fool. Paul said that they receive not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because it's foolishness. The natural man, that's a man that is not born of the Spirit of God. The man that is walking in darkness. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually understood or discerned. Do you understand that if you're not born of the Spirit of God, you can't understand spiritual things? If I had time, and we may speak on that a little later, you can go through the last six or seven verses of Second Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it makes it very clear that you can't understand spiritual things unless you're born of the Spirit of God. You can't understand natural things unless you're born naturally into this world. You don't understand anything because you're, you're not. But all of God's children are those that are called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the people, according to the word of God, that gain benefit from God's word and find that God's word is important or at least that it should be important in their lives. You know, like I said, there's many have fallen away just like they have in all the days of the Bible. Apathy set in. Things have changed, and we pray for them. We pray for every one of them, that God's word would have free course. You know, I declare unto you to preach the whole counsel of God, and sometimes when we preach the whole counsel of God, it doesn't set well with human beings, but there's things about God that you and I will never understand. He done a lot of things because it was according to the good pleasure of his will, and that's all that matters. It's not whether I understand it. It's my duty, I believe, to accept what the Lord said as the truth. Not to deny what the Lord said. And it is my duty to try to bring Scripture into harmony. You know, we're told in Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. But then Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 16, Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine, and in doing so thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Both of those verses are absolutely true, but one of them said, Save yourself. The other said, It's not of yourselves. We know that the saving or the deliverance there in each one of those verses are different. One of them is timely and the other is eternal. God took care of our eternal home. He took care of, uh, of where the Lord's people would go. They've been called, they've been justified, and one day he'll come and call these bodies out of the grave and we'll be glorified and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I'm looking forward to that day and may God bless us to always look forward to that day because it'll be the greatest day in our lives whether we understand that or not. Uh, I'm going to quit. I'm gonna th I thank you for your attention. I'm trying to keep from running out of voice or got a scratchy throat. But anyway, uh, I, I certainly appreciate you being here. I, I hope God's word was a benefit to you and a blessing to you. And hopefully in the future, we're going to look at what the benefits are. You know, so many people believe that God's word is a means whereby you can become a child of God. If you can just train them and teach them, if you can get them into the house of the Lord, but without spiritual, being spiritually born, they won't understand it, and it will always be foolishness 
unto them. May God bless us to always keep these truths near and dear to our heart and not depart from these truths.